Resurrection is the theme of so much of this epistle, and it's a very important theme. It's central to Christianity, central to our, our faith. And last Sunday, Dale, in uh, his sermon, was saying that how, <laughs> how miserable we are of all people if we don't believe in the resurrection, if Jesus didn't rise to life again. If Christ be not raised, then our preaching is in vain. And a verse further on, our faith is futile. The fact is that Christ has been raised, the first fruits of them, and so it goes on. Now, I believe in the resurrection for lots of different reasons, but three very simple ones. I hope I haven't oversimplified it or generalised too much, but I believe in the resurrection because God says so. As simple as, as that. The Bible's full of it, particularly the New Testament. Time and time again, it's the resurrection is the central preaching of the early Christian church. They didn't say that much about Jesus' death, but they certainly were witnesses to his resurrection. And the second reason why I believe in the resurrection is because Jesus did it. <laughs> There's a lot in the Gospels about the last week of Jesus' earthly life, almost half of some of those Gospels. It's a very important time for them as it is for us as we celebrate Holy Week and, and Easter. When you get to Acts and, and to Pentecost, it's the resurrection of Jesus. Peter, the disciple who was upset, but a little servant girl came to him in the high priest's courtyard on Maundy Thursday night, said, you are one of his followers. Peter said, oh no, not me, lady, not me. <laughs> and then after three attempts, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him, that before the rooster crows in the early morning, you will have denied me three times. And he wept out, went out and wept bitterly. Fifty days later, after Pentecost, 120 of them gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and tongues of fire coming down and sitting on them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the syllables. They spilled out into the street and Peter spoke to them. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised to life. Totally different person from the one that said, oh no, I don't know him. Nothing to do with me. And Jesus, before he was ascended into heaven, said, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you'll be witness to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. I think Rabina's a part of the uttermost parts of the earth as well, isn't it? It's to us as well. 
<clears throat> and the third reason that I believe in the resurrection is because creation has its own form of death and resurrection. Now today this reading from Corinthians started off with two questions. How are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? Did you notice the next word in that reading? And it was emphasized beautifully. Fool! Exclamation mark. Now I've been asked, I guess through my, my ministry, many times about the resurrection. Lots of questions on, are we going to recognize each other in heaven? How? Uh, do we have to have wings with feathers on? All sorts of peculiar questions. Quite a number of people worried about the crowds at the last judgment. All the thousands of, hundreds of thousands of people who've died in the last few thousand years of, of earth. There's going to be a big crowd, lots of queues, all sorts of questions. But there was one lady asked me one question about the resurrection which I've never forgotten. She was a young um, dairy farmer's wife with several children, young children. And we'd been discussing in a small group, uh, one that had been going on for three or four years, meeting every, every week for three or four years. We knew each other very well. We've been looking at these Isaiah readings, the promises in the prophet Isaiah. And there was this wonderful story of the great banquet in heaven, the finest of wines and the most wonderful foods. And, and it seems to be that people were spending a lot of time uh, having great festivals and feasting. And this very practical, down-to-earth lady quite seriously said, what sort of sewerage system do they have in heaven? Now, whether these questions were, were genuine or whether they were a trap, I think the students of theology are a little bit divided on here. Some people think that people came to um, Jesus genuinely wanting to know. Others feel, no, this was a real trap. People that didn't believe in the resurrection, the, the Sadducees, they were trying to trap him. How are the dead raised? If you don't believe in the resurrection, it's a very difficult question to answer. What kind of body did they come? That would really get you if you didn't believe in the, the resurrection. I sat in church here last Sunday to hear Dale use my one and only joke about uh, the Sadducees. That's how I remember some of their faith and belief because... The Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. He got a much bigger laugh than that because he tells, tells it much better. But now, there's a parallel experience in, in gardening and in nature. And this is what I like to concentrate on. All around us, we see death and resurrection all the time. When I came up here two and a half years ago, I left a big organic veggie garden and things behind me, but 
What I missed most was just going out and picking a few um, fresh herbs. And so very quickly I had a couple of pots on my new balcony of parsley and rosemary and those sort of essentials. And in that one of those pots, a little weed appeared. And I thought, that looks a bit suspicious. It's not really a weed. I think I know what it's going to become, that it only had just two little dicotyledal leaves there, but wait, and it grew, and it grew some more leaves. And I said, yes, I'm sure that's what I think it is. And I picked a little piece of one of the leaves and said, well, it looks like a tomato plant. It smells like a tomato plant. It probably is going to be a tomato plant. And so I had to make another trip to Bunnings and another pot, and this grew and uh, produced lots of, of tiny fruit. It was a sweet bite or a tom thumb or something, something like that. As I was preparing lunch one day, I thought, I'll take one of these tomatoes and I'll pinch a few seeds from it. And I put them on a paper towel and left them on the bench in, in the kitchen for uh, oh, too long. <laughs> After Christmas it was this year, and I thought, gosh, if I'm ever going to plant these, I better do it now. And so I tore uh, the, the paper towel around from three of those seeds, and they were m the most miserable looking seeds. All the tomato flesh had gone, the little tiny discolored, wrinkled things on, on this paper towel. Just by looking at them, you'd have absolutely no idea what that seed could become, what the plant was going to be like. And so I planted them, and two of the three grew, and transferred the strongest one into another pot. And so far, because it was so late in the season, it's only got little yellow flowers on it, but it's still a lovely bush with lots of green leaves and three or four little yellow flowers. It's impossible to know, I believe, that what a seed is going to become when you plant it. If I'd planted a, a carrot seed, I would have expected a carrot to grow. If it was a tomato seed, I've expected a, a tomato to grow. But just looking at a little dried up wizened seed, you cannot imagine what it's going to look like. I'm going to read from a, a new version of the, well, not that new, but a version of the Bible. It's called The Message. This is verses 39 to 41 of, of the reading that we had uh, a little while ago here, is quite different, and yet it's the same. It reads, You will notice that the varieties of bodies is stunning. Just as there are different kinds of seeds, there are different kinds of bodies. Humans, animals, birds, fish, each unprecedented in its form. You get a hint of the diversity of resurrection glory by looking at the diversity of bodies, not only on earth, but in the skies. Sun, moon, stars, all these varieties of beauty and brightness. And we're only looking at pre-resurrection seeds. Who can imagine what the resurrection plants will be like? 
And that last line got to me. We're only looking at pre-resurrection seeds. Who can imagine what the resurrection plants will be like? I find that exciting. Very exciting. And then St. Paul goes on again. Verse 45. The same sequence is in the scriptures, the same sequence of life and death, and life again. It reads, the first Adam became a living being, and the last Adam is a life-giving spirit. Now, the first Adam became a living being, that's back in Genesis, the second chapter, God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the, the breath of life. The, the hrua in the, in the Hebrew or, or the pneuma in, in, in Greek, words that are almost impossible to um, translate into English. And we have three or four different words that we use depending on the context as to which one uh, we use. It could be air, it could be wind, it could be breath, it could be spirit. It's the word that we use for, for the Holy Spirit. But the last Adam, Jesus, is a life-giving spirit. Adam became a living being and God poured the breath, the pneuma into his, his nostrils. But Jesus is a life-giving spirit. John the Baptist recognized that when he saw Jesus coming, his cousin, he said, Behold the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And we're still singing this. We're going to sing this later on in, in, the, in the service uh, this morning. And he went on to say that I baptise with water, but there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy enough to undo his shoelaces and, and wash his feet. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then just before the ascension, uh, Jesus said, in a few days you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and way down to, to Rabina. Our citizenship is in heaven. And I think what is saying, being said in these scriptures is that over and over again, there's this repeating of the physical first and then the spiritual. Over and over again. So, what does a resurrection body look like? I have no idea. <laughs> Not at all. I don't think anybody has any idea. I believe it's going to be glorious. And this picture of a seed and a plant. There are other pictures in, in nature, and lots of them. There's a, a little grub crawling around on a leaf, eating. All it does all day seems to be to eat leaves, especially if they get into your, into your garden. They're eating so much. But then that little grub spins a cocoon all around itself. And some of the cocoons, you can actually pick them off the, the branches and rattle them. There's nothing, just, just a, a nice solid rattle. 
but eventually there'll be a hole at the end of that cocoon and out will come a butterfly or a moth, totally different from the earthly body. The spiritual is so totally different from the, the physical body. The Bible says, I hath not seen, this is in Corinthians 2, the second chapter, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. There are some clues in the scripture. Jesus himself, his body, his resurrection body was different. It could be recognized at times and other times not recognized. Mary recognized him only when he spoke her name outside the, the tomb. Two people on the road to Emmaus, he talked with them for ages and afterwards I said, oh, didn't our hearts burn within us as he explained the scriptures to us? They didn't recognize him until they invited him in for, for the evening meal and he broke the bread in front of them. And suddenly, it's Jesus. And he disappeared uh, from their sight and they rushed back to Jerusalem in the, the dark to tell the other disciples, he's alive, he's risen. Jesus' resurrection body was able to pass through doors. The disciples were scared about the Romans or the Jews coming to arrest them, so they would have made that <clears throat> upper room in Jerusalem so firm, bolted and barred everything they possibly could, but Jesus came in the middle of it. He said, peace be with you. And to Thomas, he said, put out your hands, put your finger, put your finger into my, the wounds in my hand. He ate. They gave him a piece of cold broiled fish, not particularly appetizing in my understanding, but he ate in front of them. Now we, apparently, if Paul is correct, and Jesus is correct, the scriptures are correct, we are at the moment in our pre-resurrection seeds. We don't know what it's going to be like in heaven. Glorious, yes, wonderful, but we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. If our citizenship is in heaven and we're only in a pre-resurrection seed and we're going to move into a post-resurrection beautiful plant, then surely we should be spending time looking at some of our priorities of life, not spending all our time and efforts and thought on looking after the seed but in what's going to happen to all of us in God's good time. We need to respond, I believe, to that almighty love of God. God showed his love to us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And we're coming to Lent. Is it 10 days' time? It'll be Ash Wednesday. It's not very far away. I don't know what we do on, on 
during Lent, it varies through the history of the church as to be very intense or not. Some people take off from their program <clears throat> various things. My parents used to give up sugar in their tea. They were very British people and had numerous cups of tea all the time, solved every problem. But during Lent, no sugar in the house. We'd finished it on our pancakes on Shrove Tuesday. And every time they had a cuppa, they would have thought, ooh, it's different, it tastes awful. The point of it is that they remembered why it tasted awful. They'd given up sugar so that uh, and every time they had a cup, I think, it's Lent. We're trying to get closer to Jesus. And so that thought of Jesus would have come into their, their minds. Little boys not, not having sugar in their tea had all sorts of other thoughts, wicked little boys. But that's, that's, that's life, isn't it? That's how we, we cope with things. Other people add on to their programs all sorts of, of things during Lent, additional reading about Jesus in the Bible, talking to him in prayer, and so on. I'm not going down that track anymore, but we'll be talking and thinking about that as we uh, in the next few weeks. But the whole point of this Lenten discipline is to deepen our personal love relationship with Jesus. That's the goal deepen our personal love relationship with Jesus. And how we do it is, of course, up to us to become more and more like Jesus. I'm going to pinch a verse from next week's reading. I hope whoever's preaching next Sunday on it won't get too upset, but it just seems to finish on a, on a high note. Death, where is your victory? In a question mark. Death, where is your sting? Another question mark. I was fascinated when this message Bible that I was reading used this quote. Instead of saying, death, where is your sting? With a question mark, it says, death, who's afraid of you now? And I thought, wow, Jesus' death and resurrection has done away with all the fear and the worry and the concern of death. And then that next line after it, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the note of a Christian. It's very hard at times when someone we love dies. But if we know that they're changing from that wizened seed into a glorious new body, we can shout, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus. And to him be the glory and the praise forever and ever. Amen.